right, everyone. Welcome to the Green Room Podcast with Neil Griffiths on the Handshake Media Network. Hope you're doing well. Uh, today's guest is someone who's been on the podcast before, back when it was called the Music Podcast. Remember those days? Uh, Josh Radner of Radner and Lee. Most people will know him, of course, as Ted from the show How I Met Your Mother. Maybe new fans know him from the Amazon Prime series Hunters with the little indie actor called Al Pacino. Um, but he joined the Green Room this week to talk about Radner and Lee's new album called Golden State. It's out right now. Of course, if you don't know Radner and Lee, it's Josh with um, very popular Australian musician Ben Lee. Um, they've been doing an indie folk project for the last couple of years. They released their debut album, I want to say 2018. And yeah, Golden State came out late last month. You can get it right now. Um, but on this episode, I spoke with Josh about the new album, um, about Hunters, which again is on Amazon Prime his days back in How I Met Your Mother, where he's at right now as far as his relationship with fame and success, um, his music career, which he is obviously taking very seriously. Um, so yeah, this is me chatting to Josh from his home in LA on The Green Room. Check it out. All right, we're rolling. Josh Radner, welcome welcome back to The Green Room Podcast, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to see you again. Yeah, um, we, we jumped on. We're on a Zoom, by the way, listener. This is how we're talking. So we can see each other. I was just saying, Josh, the last time we spoke, you were in Australia on a debut tour of the country. And now we're in COVID talking on Zoom. Things do change rather quickly. <laughs> um, how have you been, man? How's, what, two years? That was two years ago. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I, who can remember before a couple months ago what, what life was like? I mean, it's such a strange moment. Um, and, um, you know, if you're a creative person who's, who's kind of a self, you know, self-generates material, which I am, you know, being told to stay in your house for a long time is not the, the worst thing in the world. Um, you know, I've I, I been able to be really creative and stay, keep a lot of projects alive and get a lot done. But at the same time, you know, there's so much collective hurt right now. There's so much collective suffering. A friend of mine, a guy I love very deeply just passed away on Sunday from a, you know, three month battle with COVID. So there's a lot of sadness and grief in the air. And at the same time, there's a lot of kind of sense of possibility and new things, you know, old things collapsing to make way for the new. So it just feels like, man, it's, I, I can't recall a time in my adult life that felt this full on. Yeah, but I mean, I did see that Instagram post. I'm really sorry to hear about that. Um, as far as Australia, Australia seems to be getting back on track in a positive way. I, I'm assuming you're in LA right now, right? I am, yeah. And how are things looking there right now? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, my backyard's looking nice. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't get out a ton. I mean, I, when I do go out, it's like the streets are, you know, not, not like at its peak when, when LA is kicking and, and the traffic's just at a standstill. But, um, you know, people are out. A lot of people are in masks. A lot of people aren't in masks. You know, it's hard to say who's taking what seriously. And, um, but, you know, um, uh, it, 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 it's, it's hard for me to know I, you know, you, you could probably read the news, uh, local news in LA and get just as much a sense as I would. Cause I'm, I'm not really leaving my house all that much. I mean, I'm, I had a nice socially distanced, uh, friend date with a couple people the other night, but, but mostly I'm just kind of hunkered down, you know? It's weird that we have to say socially distanced before every activity now, doesn't it? I know just to make sure people know <laughs> like, I'm not being reckless. <laughs> um, I mean, you mentioned that before as well, like you're, you're a creative guy. Um, Obviously, Radnor and Lee, which we'll talk about in a bit. 
Hunters just wrapped up on Amazon. Hopefully season two, I'm going to ask you about that too. So get ready for that. Um, What have you been doing on that creative side when you literally have been in your house? Well, I am collaborating on a screenplay that I'm super excited about with my friend Caroline. So I've been co-writing this script that's gone really well. I have, I I always have a ton of movie projects that are going. Um, And in addition to the songs I write with Ben, I, you know, I started playing guitar about three, a little over three years ago. And uh, I've really taken to it in like a very, very serious way. So I write songs every day. I practice guitar every day. I mean, it's just a, it's just a part of my life now playing music. So, um, you know, just trying to stay in a space where, uh, you know, if I get an idea, it's like, I don't know if it wants to be a movie or a TV show or an essay or a song, but but somehow it finds its form that it wants to express. So even though I do all these different things, I still think of myself as just a person who tells stories. I just now have a lot of different uh, avenues to tell them. I think it's pretty great. I remember that um, that debut tour of Australia you had, and when you came to the Studios 301 in Sydney, where you did that really intimate performance, we did the interview beforehand and you mentioned, you know, I've only really kind of just started playing guitar and you told the crowd, if I, if I fuck up, I'm going to fuck up. But yeah. I, I mean, I follow you on Instagram. It's weird to tell someone I've um, seen you post a lot of videos where you are now, you're a fully fledged guitarist. Oh, thanks man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I find I, I, I had to get over so much imposter syndrome about being a musician because I thought to be a musician, you had to be like Ben, you had to get your first guitar at 10 or 11 you had to be playing all through high school and start writing songs when you were 13, you know, and playing in your parents' garage and all that stuff. And it just happened for me a lot later, but it didn't mean that, uh, you know, one of the, the, the gifts of it is that lyrically, at least, I, you know, I'm, I'm over 40. I, I've lived some life. I've had some failure. I've had some success. I have something to write about now. But I think that one of the reasons that I... I, I kind of invoke, you know, Ben and I do it. We, we, we say that Radner and Lee shows are a mistakes permissible uh, venue, you know? And I think that there's something liberating about that for both us and the audience that, you know, I know from being in the theater that sometimes the mess up when someone flubs something or drops a prop or flubs a line, sometimes that's the most electric, exciting moment in the play because they're, you're really watching people in real time deal with something. And, um, you know, I found it to be true musically, you know, if something goes wrong and it's kind of fun for the audience rather than thinking I'm supposed to be like Yo-Yo Ma or something and just be technically flawless saying like, yeah, this is my story. I started playing guitar three and a half years ago. I have some native talent for it. I really like the songs I'm making. I hope you do too. And let's just be here in this room together. Are you over that, um, I don't know if it's the correct word, but the struggle of saying, hey, I'm Josh Radnett. Yes, I'm the guy from How I Met Your Mother, but I do this really cool thing as well. And, and for Ben Lee, especially in Australia, we all know Ben Lee. And for him to say, I'm teamed up with Josh Radnett, it's kind of like, oh, shit, this is, this is really unique and different. Are you over having to, to justify that, yes, I'm known as an actor, but I'm doing music now as well? Well, you know, it's weird having been on like a globally massively famous show like how I met your mother for nine years, it's kind of like, it's this, it's a gift and a curse and I, and it's way more than a, more of a gift, but you know, Ben kind of said to put it in musical terms, he said, it's like you had a huge hit song and no matter where you go, people are going to scream out the name of that hit song and you kind of got to honor it and play it at your shows, even though they're, they're going to listen to your other songs and they might really fall hard for some of them. So it's something that I honor, but I, and I also know that it allowed me to, 
you know, find myself creatively and be an artist and not have to work a day job besides just making things. And um, one of the weirder things, though, is, you know, because I don't, um, you know, I post a little bit about acting jobs and stuff, but my Instagram is a little more like musically focused. And, um, you know, you'll get people who, you know, they don't, they, they don't watch Hunters or they haven't seen any of my other shows and they think, oh, you must be a musician now. You stopped acting. And it's like, no, 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 I'm doing everything, <laughs> you know. It's, it's so funny that people don't think that you can do more than one thing. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just moving ahead. And I, and I trust that I think I have people who really love how I met your mother and that's why they follow me. And then there are other people that are just really interested in me creatively, what I'm up to and they love seeing me diversify. So that's really fun. I saw Ben, Ben did an interview recently and he spoke about how kind of he, the music is more reflective of, of him and the lyrics are more reflective of you. I'm wondering with those lyrics, is there any song in particular that, that maybe tells that story? Like you said, you know, you're now in your forties. It's, it's a pretty rare feat to, to be on a, a globally massive show that still resonates with people when it, what, six years off the air now? Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. And I, I know I mentioned this in the last interview we did, you did this amazing, um, almost like Ted talk about fame and your relationship with fame, both during and after how I met your mother has that been incorporated into your songwriting at all? Um, I'd say the most direct one for that would be outside in, you know, that, that, that the kind of notion of, uh, I, I think the lyrics made some stuff got called a fool. There's no way to sidestep ridicule by the lonely and the angry on the message boards, making me nostalgic for being ignored. I want to thicken my skin, stand tall and free, build a house from the bricks people throw at me, you know? And, and I think when you're an artist of any kind, and, it, and it's paradoxical, and I talk about that in that, that talk I gave in India. And thanks for mentioning that. I'm glad you, you, you saw that and remembered that. But um, if, if people are saying terrible things about you online, it's kind of this weird sign that you're, you're getting through, that you're, you're, you're actually at a place where you're a target and people um, feel like they can th- fling some arrows at you. And, and I try to tell people that when they achieve their first kind of round of visibility, and it's so disorienting to have people suddenly come after you. But it's fun when your, your skin gets a little thickened. And Ben is actually incredible at this. Like he's, you know, he's been up, he's been down, his skin is so thick. He just doesn't really care anymore. Like, you know, if, if, you, have a, if you have a show that was kind of tough or you thought the audience wasn't with you, he calls it a character builder. You know, he's just so, he's, he has an optimistic spin on all of it because it's like he doesn't care anymore. And I'm, I'm almost getting there. I'm still, I'm still, I can still be sensitive to it, but... The fact is, if, if you are making things and you keep making things, whether people like them or not, or it's a huge hit or no one watches or whatever, if you keep making stuff, you are winning the, the creative battle. So um, in terms of the just more personal songs on the album, I'd say Down in the Dirt and The Animal are two songs just content-wise that are very dear to me. Um, Down in the Dirt being like this kind of... Um, you know, for so long, I, I, I was really afraid of grief and sadness and, and just darker aspects of, of the human experience that life didn't care whether I thought that or not. And it just gave me uh, some darkness and grief that I had to deal with. And, and out of that, I got so much growth and so much insight and so much more power to, to just, uh, you know, um, the experience of being alive just felt so much more I was alert to it in a different way. So that's what Down in the Dirt is. And I love that song very dearly. It's kind of an anthem, right, for mm-hmm. me. And the animal is, um, 
I was just looking at, uh, you know, some of this darker stuff around sexuality, being a man. Uh, what does it mean to be a man right now in this era uh, where, um, you know, if you're, if you're not like a, a criminal and a horrible person, but you're also like, you know, we've got these parts of ourselves that are lusty and animal. And how do we be both a gentleman and an, you know, how do we have a spiritual life and an animal body? How do we reconcile those two? You know, that song is a very Jungian kind of plunge into these deep questions. Mm. And there's a lot of questions on the album, which I really like. It's not a, you know, there's that great quote, I forget who said it, but, you know, uh, stick with those who, um, who, uh, who seek truth and from those who claim to have found it. You don't know who said that? Might have been Voltaire, but we can look it up. <laughs> so Google that place if you can hear us. Um, going back to that speech in India, have you watched that since or at all since you gave it? No, I don't know that I ever watched the whole thing through. I mean, it was um, it was something I really spent a long time on. And, and, and so I know the content of the speech very well. Um, but I haven't, I haven't watched it, but I did know that uh, immediately people in the audience were very, very affected by it. And um, I had a, a man uh, who was a, you know, he lived in Mumbai and I had talked to him earlier in the week. I forget, he might've been on the board of some, but he, his daughter had been um, very bullied and he was so angry at her, her tormentors. And I remember him telling me that my speech really helped him find some peace in that in that area, which I thought was so fascinating because that's not exactly what it was about. But I thought, oh, there must be something in here that is, uh, and, and, you know, I think, I think what he was saying or, or the way I interpreted that is, is if you're authentic and vulnerable about what your struggles are and where your tough spots are and where you're failing and where you have picked yourself back up and dusted yourself off and kept going, whatever story that is, whatever story of resilience and transparency you tell it will be relatable because that's, that's a perennial, that's, if you're a human being, you're going to fall down. You're going to get ashamed. You're going to be embarrassed. You're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to do the wrong thing. You're going to have regrets, you know, especially as you get older, your life, as you look back is littered with those things. So anytime someone can get up and say, yeah, I failed and I, and I'm hurting and this is, this is what I'm doing to deal with it. I think there's some sense of relief when someone's just, not uh, wearing a mask, you know? It's so relatable. I mean, the thing that I took away from it as well is, you know, you obviously have achieved so much fame and success with How I Met Your Mother. It's a globally hit show, yet there you are on stage saying fame isn't as amazing as you think. There is a downside to it. And in fact, it can, can, rather than alleviate the problems you think it's going to alleviate, it can actually crystallize and compound your problems. You know, if you... Ben actually said this to me years ago. He said... If you hate yourself and you're an artist where you're in an arena where everyone is screaming that they love you and singing along to all your songs, if you hate yourself, that's going to be a painful experience rather than a liberating experience. So work of, I don't know, self-love isn't the right word, but just a kind of deep self-acceptance to me is the greatest work an artist can do because then you can create from a kind of joy and abandon that your, your audience can 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 enjoy with you and you can enjoy it back with them otherwise you will feel like too much of a fraud to enjoy anything did you ever find yourself in a position not in an arena with screaming fans but maybe in a panel maybe on set where you thought i should be having a blast right now and for whatever reason i'm not 
Yeah, kind of the whole time on How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> I mean, all seasons. Yeah, I mean, there were moments of, like, joy and lightness, and it's not like it was nine years of drudgery, but I also, I certainly enjoyed my creative life post How I Met Your Mother more than I enjoyed actually How I Met Your Mother. And that's not a dig against the show or the, the content of the show or the creators. I love the guys who created the show. I loved our director. Um, you know, it was more... Uh, it was it was like being shot out of a cannon. I was a theater actor who had done a bunch of pilots. I had done a bunch of guest spots, but I was I was largely unknown when I did that show. I was I think twenty nine when I did the pilot. It was so disorienting, and and I felt like the, the the show was beloved, and then I didn't know if my character was, and and then I thought people did love my character, but maybe for the wrong reasons. Like it was so confusing to it felt like this thicket of of stuff that I had to move through, and then. Ultimately, I came out on the other side feeling like I didn't let it destroy me. I let it grow me. And that's what that speech was about, about mm. using your, your visibility to grow you rather than crush you, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I, that was a hard experience for me, that, being on that show. And, and also people thinking that you're the character and, 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 and actually getting offended at the suggestion that you might not be that character. They really want those characters to be all great friends with each other living in New York drinking right now. That's what they want. And um, really, I'm just, you know, making music with Ben. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Have you, have you seen Jason Siegel's new show, Dispatches from Anywhere? I haven't. I was supposed to go to the premiere. Uh, I was going to be in New York, but, but the world shut down, so I couldn't go. Did you at least see the tweet from Jason with like a short minute clip? No. Okay, so it was like, this is like really, I mean, I don't want to give spoilers to listeners, but Jason's character towards this climax of this episode is he finds out he is Jason Siegel. Like, he is the man. And he runs into this 10-year-old boy who is Jason. And hearing your story now, basically the scene runs out that this kid says, you got greedy, you got rich, you got famous, and then you found whiskey and cake. And that's, that was reflective of Jason saying, you know, that's what happened with me. Similar to what you're saying, you know, you get famous and you think this is it. And then it's not it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think Jason and I, we, we, we were with each other throughout so much of the, that, that weird ride. And he had his own weird thing with it. And I know he's um, really stabilized a lot of, in his own life. And, uh, you know, it's... Um, it's weird when you go through an experience like that, you're the only, there were, there were five of us, right? And we were the only people that really had access to the inside story of that. And, and at the same time, we, we all had our own thing going on that, that maybe we weren't even sharing with each other. So, you know, it was a, it's, a strange, it's a strange thing to be on a hit show that uh, penetrates the culture the way that show did and continues to. I mean, I, I'm surprised at the shelf life of that show, how much it continues to still affect people. Well, funnily enough, I've been re-watching, I'm probably up to like the start of season nine now, I think. The, the reason I think How Many Mother holds up so well is not so much the comedy, it's how well that show nails the dramatic scenes. Yes, it's a sitcom, but, you know, we all love Barney, but yes, I'm going to sell you a fanboy here. It's your scenes in particular, especially the dramatic scenes where it's like, holy shit, there's a lot more going on here. Like, I think I just watched the, the episode where Ted goes and talks to his future wife he knocks on the door and gives her the speech that in 46 days that separates how i met your mother from normal sitcoms because of those dramatic scenes and that to be honest opened me up to to your other works your future works like um liberal arts massive fan of that and your directing work that's really what separates that show you know i always felt a little bit like i was 
like an independent film character dropped into a sitcom. <laughs> and, you know, I knew I could do the comedy and all that stuff. And I love doing comedy. I absolutely love it. But I never felt, I felt like whatever I was contributing to that show, you know, almost like, um, you know, on a team, right? Everyone's got like, some people are assist people. Some people are three point people or whatever. I, I always felt like when, when they gave me, and they gave me a couple every season, you know, the really heartfelt stuff, starting even with the pilot, you know, the speech where he talks about, I'm, I'm a lousy boyfriend, but I'm going to be a great husband. Like, I always felt like that's really what I can contribute to the show is grounding it in this reality, like trying to make it seem like, even though there was bright lights and a laugh track, that maybe it would um, feel, and I think, I think in a lot of ways, Ted's character, he's aged really well, because I think, he might have been a little sincere for the time that it was on the air, but now it's a, it's a more sincere time in a weird way. And I think his, I think what he was saying and what he was up to is really resonating with a lot of people now. It drove me crazy when that finale was so divisive because it's like, if you've watched the show, almost every season ends with Ted either wanting Robin or there's some sort of little connection there. And then obviously at the end, that's how it ends. And people were like, well, I never saw that coming. It's like, how did you not see that? Oh, it's all there. It's all there in the DNA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've mentioned some of your other works, liberal arts. Um, you mentioned a screenplay. Is this something you'll be directing? I hope so. Yeah. I don't want to be in it. I, I, uh, when I directed my two films, I was in both of them and I found my, my favorite days on set for the day, for the day that I didn't have to, days I didn't have to act. So I'm really, I would love to just be behind the camera and not have to worry about acting. I think it would be just a, such a pleasure. So it, it's, it's really like, I, I, this is like, hot off the press first draft, but I'm getting it out to some people I really trust. So I'm going to hopefully figure out where I'm at with it soon. Is the priority outside of that, as far as film and TV goes, Hunters? I know David Will says he wants five seasons. We haven't got season two confirmed yet, but... Well, it's looking good. That's all I'll say. And, uh, and you know, that, that show was... I just had the best time with that show. Working with Pacino, getting to play that character I played was... Just such a blast. I can't wait. If if we're lucky enough to do more, I just, I feel like there's more to explore with Lonnie Flash. And, uh, you know, it feels like a great time to hunt and kill some Nazis, you know. <laughs> Given, I mean, what you said about their experience in Hammett, your mother, would you be willing to commit yourself to another gigantic show in multiple seasons? You know, it would depend. Like, I, I kind of have a unofficial thing. My agents and my manager all know that anything that, kind of smells like Ted Mosby, I won't do. And I got offered a lot of those roles when How I Met Your Mother went off the air. And the reason I don't want to do it is because I really did it. I mean, I, 208 episodes was more than enough time to explore, you know, single guy looking for love in New York City. So anything, you know, the first role I accepted was um, a, a morphine addicted surgeon in the Civil War. And then I played this public school drama teacher. And now I'm playing a, you know, cocaine addicted um movie star Nazi hunter. So I'm really looking for roles that feel incredibly different, that scare me, that I'm not sure I can do. I mean, these are the roles that I'm, I'm interested in more in. And, and I'll wait until they come along because I'll, I'll, I'll write and, and play music w- until those roles come along. Does it flatter you that you're still getting comedic roles? I mean, you, you said that you're more of the dramatic side of things, but especially in those later seasons of How I Met Your Mother and with Hunters, you're a funny guy, Josh. Give yourself <laughs> a break. <laughs> Uh, no, I love it all. And I consider the ability to do drama and comedy just like part of being an actor. I, I, I feel like a proper actor. I mean, some people are going to be more skilled at what, but I feel like part of being an actor is like 
you, you, you find the humor in serious moments and you find the truth in comedic moments. So it's, I, I just consider it all a part of, and if I've done too much drama stuff, I want to do a comedy. If I haven't done it, if I did a comedy, I want to do something more serious, but Lonnie is great because he's, he's really funny, but it's, it's grounded. It's certainly not a sitcom. It's, but he's the comic relief of the show or, or a big part of it. So, um, but he also gets some real serious stuff to do. And I think as the show goes on, there's going to be more serious stuff with him. Yeah. All right. Well, jumping back to Radnor and Lee again, what was it? Two years ago, we spoke in that series. Sydney studio and you and Ben were talking to me about the debut album and you've already written some music I think in that intimate show you did I think you played a bunch of stuff on the, on this new record I think you played Green Street yeah, I do remember that yeah I think you played Outside In as well there might have been one more um are you guys working on third album songs already or have you now we're out we're done we're just gonna sit on this for a while yeah you know we have it just because of the logistics of you know the quarantine like there was what the, the, the big part of uh, Green Street, you know, two eyes aren't enough to see that that thing. That was the one thing we wrote on Skype when I was in New York doing the show Rise and Ben was in L.A. All our other songs have been written in a room together. Mm-hmm. So we just have to figure out a way to get back in the room. Uh, and, and it's not really possible right now. But um, we have a couple of uh, songs that didn't make the record, that didn't make Golden State. A couple we took into the studio. A couple didn't even make it into the studio. I still love a couple a handful of those and i'd love to re-examine them but i think i think we would just kind of start fresh and figure out the 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 problem is that the next step that you feel like you want to do with an album like this you want to take it on the road and get it onto stages and and play it for people and we're not really getting that right now so and who knows how long it's going to be until we can do that but that feels like the next move is to really just take these songs out and kick the tires and see what we got if anyone's seen the the press release for Golden State, it talks about that tour to Brazil. Yeah. Um, I knew you did that. Did know about the LSD part. Now, apparently, this happened after soundcheck. Uh, yeah. You know what? Let Ben tell you that story. He's, oh, really? he's better at that story than I am. But definitely, that whole trip to Brazil. Excuse the pun. Uh, really, really affected us and changed our music, and certainly is all over this album. Up to the point in, in the opening track, Simple Harmony, we give a shout out to Brazil because we love uh, the Brazilians. And we want to get back there soon. Mm. I mean, I'm only, I'm 29. Ben has this big thing about, you know, you really find yourself once you're in your 40s. Again, with him, with the music, you, with the lyrics. Is that true? Is that what I'm looking forward to? Finding yourself or writing music and lyrics? Both, all of it. Uh-huh. Getting some sort of clarity. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... I, I, I will probably look back on my 40s when I'm in my 50s and say, man, the 40s were nothing compared to the 50s. Yeah. And I knew that because I thought my 20s were filled with revelation and my 30s also, and my 40s certainly. But my 40s, yes, definitely have been the most um, interesting. That's not the right word, but <laughs> the most, um, you know, letting go of certain things that I just had hold, held on to that, uh, that, there's a relief to kind of letting go of some of the stuff that had dogged you since, um, you know, junior high or something like that. Certain masks or insecurities start to fall away. And there's something so it's, it's just a relief to not, not have certain obsessions. Other obsessions come in, you know, you start, um, you're not worrying about other things, but you're like, Oh man, my body doesn't recover from you know, <laughs> as quick as it wants. Yeah. 
I got to get, I, if I don't get eight hours of sleep, I'm in trouble. You know, there's just certain things that, that you can feel the clock ticking. And, but aging has been, I would say on the whole, a lot more merciful than I thought it would be. And why? Um, I just thought that adulthood was going to be this time of drudgery and, and, uh, stress, you know, it's kind of, it, it felt like the, the men in, in my community growing up, the older, uh, you know, the fathers that it never looked as much fun as like the, the fun I was having. But I think Ben and I both, you know, we kind of structured our lives so we don't have to wear a tie and go to an office, you know, that's kind of like how we, yeah. we created our lives. And, and luckily we've been able to, you know, make a living making things. And I think that was just my goal. I just wanted to have a creative life. And, uh, because I was so clear about that, even as a teenager, um, now that I live a creative life, I just feel lucky. You know, it's like, it's like, I, I, I never take it for granted. I, I, I live with a lot of gratitude about the fact that I get to make things for a living. Okay. Well, I think I ended the interview in 2018 asking this question. So I'm going to ask you again, what is your relationship now with success and fame? I mean, when we spoke last, there was only one Radnor and Lee album out. Now Hunters is out. Uh, you know, more time away from How I Met Your Mother. Where does your relationship with fame stand in 2020? Well, I think, you know, when I was younger and, uh, you know, I was, a, I was an insecure teenager. I was like, I was, a, I was an accomplished teenager. I, I got things done. I succeeded. But I was also very self-conscious. I was insecure. And I thought I needed some sort of external validation to feel okay in the world. Like, like the world was giving me a stamp of approval. And then I get this big thing and, and I feel more insecure than I've ever felt, right? It doesn't do that for me. So then I have to start reassessing. And what I found is the idea that I'm going to get to some, you know, my friend calls it a winner's circle. He said, you know, his therapist told him, there's no such thing as a winner's circle. You think that like, you know, Pacino's there and Scorsese's there and Meryl Streep is there. You've got to feel a little good about that, surely. What, about working with Pacino? Yeah. Oh, no, for sure. <laughs> it is. Al Pacino is just as restless an, an actor as any of us. It's not like he's sitting around. He doesn't bring his Oscars to work and smoke cigars and just, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's yeah. still going for it. He's still trying to find something. So the hunger and the, 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 the hole in you that feels like you're, you're, you're looking, 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 I don't know that that ever goes away. So I've kind of disabused myself of the idea. I still think, you know what, I think an Oscar would make me happy. But I also know that I would probably be horribly depressed the morning after mm. and feel like my career was over and that was the high point. And I would come up with all sorts of disaster scenarios. So the thing is, you know, I keep wanting something to feel like I've officially arrived. But the fact is, you know, I make albums with one of my best friends. I get to tour. I'm a musician. I write songs. I, I, the fact that I can play guitar astonishes me. Um, I worked with Al Pacino, who, you know, was obviously one of my heroes. I never thought that would happen. I'm on this great show on a streaming network with a killer part. And I'm like, I don't know that it's going to get me better than that. And whenever I start getting dissatisfied, I realize that's not about what's going on. That's just my own that's a demon inside me that is the, the, the not enough demon. You know, it's never enough. It's never enough. And if I get a relationship with that where I go, okay, I hear you. I hear how you're trying to deceive me into leaving the present moment, which is pretty good, all things considered. You know, and, and you know, if I get to, to wake up and be grateful and caffeinate and write a song and talk to some friends and share and be a good 
uh, son and uncle and brother. Like, I don't know, like, like when I can get to that place, everything's okay. It's actually more than okay. It's as good as it's going to be. And if I can't be happy with that, I'm never going to be happy, even when more success comes along. If I ever get bummed out, I'm just going to listen to that last two-minute speech because that's fucking brilliant. <laughs> Josh, thank you so much for coming by, man. Um, I hope we can meet in better circumstances for the third time we meet. Um, Hopefully, when everything opens up, we want to get to Australia. Um, so. Well, I was meant to come to LA in May, but, um, you know, yeah, didn't work out. <laughs> We'll, we'll do it again. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, Josh, thank you so much, man. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks so much. That's our episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Green Room. Uh, and a big thank you to Josh for coming on all the way from LA. Again, the album is called Golden State. It is out right now by Radnor and Lee. Check it out on Spotify or wherever you get your digital releases. Uh, we'll catch you all next week.